and um, if we get through it, fine, and I may not get through anything because of the computer keeping fouling up and whatever that is for Hewlett Packard that wants to make a change to the computer, uh, hopefully it'll quit uh, so we can look at this, but if it don't, it's okay. Um, it's all right. So uh, the last time, which was a while back, if you all remember, we finished Paul's third missionary journey. Uh, he came to Jerusalem, and if you remember, they had he came to the church. And does anybody remember who the pastor of the church at Jerusalem was? It's a good guess. His nickname was Camel Knees. Does anybody remember that? Does anybody remember why his nickname was Camel Knees? That's correct. He is one of the apostles. He wrote a New Testament book. It is considered, actually, the earliest writing in the New Testament. It's considered the first book written in the New Testament. It doesn't come in first place chronologically, but it's the first book written in the New Testament. He wrote it. I see... Do what? You're close. Starts with a J. James. Do what? <laughs> I thought you meant James. Um, which was Jesus' half-brother. If you remember, uh, in Acts chapter 12, Peter and another apostle was arrested and put in prison. The other apostle uh, was beheaded. Does anybody remember who that was in Acts chapter 12? Who? Stephen was stoned to death in chapter 6 or 7. I don't remember right off. This, this was an apostle. He was, he was actually one of the disciples. He was the first one killed. Somebody said his name just a minute ago. No, James is still alive. John, Acts chapter 12, John is beheaded. I'm so far off course, we'll never get to what we're going to try to study here. But anyway, um, but Peter, Peter, Paul got to Jerusalem. They said, look, everybody's mad at you. All these rumors are going around uh, rumors are nothing new. Uh, people getting mad at the preachers, nothing new. Um, it's, been, it's, it's been going on for 2,000 years. So, uh, But they, they said, here's what's been told. They said, you care to go to the temple, uh, do a Nazarite vow, and go through the cleansing process to appease the people. Paul said, sure, no problem. I don't, I don't care to do that. I'm paraphrasing, okay? Uh, and he had, I, he had, so he did this. On the day he went into the temple to, with some other Jewish men who they had set aside to do this with him, I'm telling you now what, the, what happened when we got to Jerusalem to cut time. Um, uh, this is in Acts 21 is where you'll find this story. Um, anyway, he, um, he went to the temple and the Jews came. They said, this is he who claims, told us not to listen to Moses. Moses was wrong. And he has brought a Gentile into the temple and defiled the temple. What had happened is Paul brought a man from Ephesus, I believe it is, and I'm going off memory there, um, with him to, you know, it said here in Ephesians, in verse 29, it tells us that. Uh, they accused Paul of bringing him there into the temple. And Paul didn't do that. And so that was the big uproar. They was going to, remember, they was going to probably rip him to shreds. The Roman soldiers came in, saved Paul's life. So what in the world's all, all this going on? And they thought Paul was a man who had led 
an insurrection, a big uprising earlier, and they thought it was him, and he said, I'm not that, I'm not that guy. Uh, and he was walking up the steps. Paul looked at the Roman centurion and said, Excuse me, sir, may I please have a word? And it shocked the Roman centurion. If you turn your Bibles to Acts 21, verse 38, we're going to read a few verses. Because we've, we've went over all of this. I know it's been a while, but we have already went over all of this. Hopefully some of it comes back to your memory. Uh, I will say Amber has told me a few times, she said it's so much to take in. She said you don't really go so fast, but you cover a lot of, a lot of information. She said we just can't retain it all. Um, I can't either. But nevertheless, uh, verse 38, Acts 21, and art, art, well, if I can read, Art not thou that Egyptian which before these days made us an uproar and led us out into the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers? But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Sicilia, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. Now, when he said no mean cities, what he's saying is, I'm not from some thug place. I didn't live, I'm not from the hood or, or from the redneck alley. You know, that's, that's what Paul was saying. Verse 40, And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand to the people. When there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying. So what Paul did is he told them about his uh, conversion. He told them about when he got saved. If you notice, if your Bible has the word of Christ in red, you see him tell us the story on the road to Damascus. And... Uh, his days following, and then of chapter 22 is where you're seeing this. And if you turn to chapter 22, verse 21. Uh, again, now imagine this. I've seen a movie of this. Probably not real accurate, but it gives you a little bit of a picture. But imagine him going up uh, to a castle. He's climbing up a set of steps. He's near the top of the steps. Everybody is down beneath him in front of him. He's sitting on top of the steps. And he is preaching to them so they, so they can hear him. He's down in front of them. They're down in front of him, below him. So verse 21, and he said unto them, uh, of course, this is Jesus. Now I'm breaking in the middle of his story here, so understand that. Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Verse 22, and they gave him audience unto this word. And then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out, they cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air. So I imagine them taking off like, uh, I don't know, people in Israel, do they wear like all the, the, the stuff, the men still yet today, did you all notice that, or do they wear clothes like us? Okay, so I, I mean, I honestly did not know. And I, I, and I figure what better to ask somebody that's been there, right? Um, that's better, to me more accurate than Google. Um, and so I imagine them taking off like a coat, a cloak, or something like that, slamming it against the ground, and just causing as much uproar as they could. Because now picture this in your mind for a minute. They were, they were fine in listening to Paul until he said the word Gentiles. When he said Gentiles, they lost their mind. Because remember, they had just accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple. That's what they were already so upset about. And what he's saying is, Jesus told him, Paul, I'm going to send you 
to the Gentiles. And that's what Paul is telling them. He had their ear until he said that. When he said that, man, they lost their ever-loving mind, what they had left. And so now they really, they said, this, this fellow doesn't deserve to live. And so now they're really upset. So they take him on in. The Roman centurion takes him on to the castle. Uh, they're going to scourge him. This is the only time Paul used his Roman citizenship to stop a beating. They were getting ready to scourge him, and he looked at the guard with the whip, the whatever he had, I don't know. Uh, and he said, is it right to scourge a Roman uncondemned? And the guard suddenly, the soldier went, whoa. <laughs> so he went and tells the centurion. The centurion's kind of shaking in his shoes now. And he goes to Paul and says, and you'll find this in verse um, 28, or go to 27 of chapter 22. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yea. Now, remember, if you, those of you that are here, if you remember, we've taught, I mentioned this sometimes on Sunday morning when I'm preaching as well. If you claim to be a Roman citizen and you found out that you were lying, does anyone remember what happened to you? Death. By whatever means they deem necessary. And I'll be quite honest with you, you didn't get much of a say-so in how you died at their hands. Good or bad. So, verse 28. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was born free. Then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid, after he knew that he was a Roman, because he had bound him. So, now the chief captain has a little problem on his hands. He's got a Jew who is a Roman citizen. It's believed uh, Rome conquered um, Tarsus, <laughs> the country of Sicilia. Now, for, for reference, if you all in the back can't see, these pews up here near the front won't fall. They will hold you. And, and the ceiling won't collapse if you, if you need to see. Uh, I know that was sarcasm, I'm sorry. Um, but Sicilia is this country right here. Now remember, Rome is all the way over here. At this time of the world, what Rome said went. Period. They ruled everything you see. They were, there was a, everything you see here was Rome. And so, for some reason, we believe this, that it's one of two things. A lot of people, for whatever reason, in Sicilia was... Uh, granted Roman citizenship. Uh, some people believe Paul's family perhaps was wealthy and for that reason his grandparents or parents was granted Roman citizenship. So when he said, I was born free, in other words, his parents by some means or another had gained Roman citizenship. So Paul was born a Roman. Example. You and I, if you're born in America to American parents, you are born an American. You're born free. If you are a foreigner and you come to America, I'm just going to say it simple. You come to America, you rightfully earn and gain your citizenship. You are then an American and then you are awarded American rights with which what comes with American citizenship. So this is the difference. The Roman centurion said, I had to pay money to be a Roman citizen. Paul said, I was born free. So in other words, the Roman centurion 
who was in power at this time, had, he was a foreigner of Rome and became a Roman citizen. Paul was born free. I don't know why I went into all that, but I guess God wanted me to. Um, have a good evening. Drive safe. But so, so the the Roman centurion now has a problem. He's got this guy here who, if no matter what he does with him, the the, the Jewish people are, are going ballistic. He knows if he sets him free, they're going to rip him to shreds before he gets out of sight, and then then he's going to be in trouble. So he says, I got to find out what's up with this guy. So the next day they have a trial. All the people come in question. Uh, the Sanhedrin did. And Paul looks around. Does anybody remember who the Sanhedrin is made up of? Sadducees and Pharisees. And did they get along very good with each other? No, they did not. Kind of like in America today, our Congress and Senate. Wow. See, history does repeat itself. Uh, so when Paul recognized who was there, he, I mean, he knew him. he made the comment about the resurrection because he knew the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They believed when you're dead, you're dead. And so that got the Pharisees and Sadducees in a big uproar. They got in a big, huge argument. Paul just kind of stepped back and just let them go at it. And then they was getting ready to rip him to shreds again and the Roman centurion said, Stop. So then Paul's nephew heard about a plan that they had uh, to kill Paul. And he, come and he comes and tells Paul. And Paul tells him to go tell the centurion. And he did. And so they moved Paul to Caesarea by night. And he had 470 troops, if memory serves me right, to lead him from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Now, Jerusalem is here. And Caesarea is up here. So the centurion said prepare 400 soldiers to transport this guy to Caesarea to stand trial before a certain fellow. Does anybody remember who that fellow was who was, in, who was actually the Roman in charge, the Roman governor, if you will, at that time? I heard somebody say something. That's a good guess, and that name does come up, but that's not who was in charge at the time. Well, Claudius comes into play. You're on the right track. All of your... Do what? Starts with an F. Festus and Felix. Felix was in charge when Paul first got to Caesarea. So Felix, they get Paul to Caesarea. Felix hears the argument. And if you remember, the Jews hired a lawyer and he, he blows Felix up with all this big nonsense. Oh, most high noble Felix, you have helped us so much. He hadn't helped them do a thing. He was blowing him up. He was, he was trying to win him with flattery. And, and they accuse him of all kinds of things. And Paul gets up and says, okay, you all accuse me. I'm not guilty of a thing you said I was and I'm going to prove it. So Felix says, all right, just take him back to his cell. We'll discuss this. Well, he just lets him sit there for two years. So Felix's time and power comes to an end. Then Festus comes along. Time out. Let me say this real quick before I forget it. I just remembered this. And this is one of the first things that points I was going to make. It's why I should have wrote it down. Back long ago, the last time we talked about this, Paul's third missionary journey, one of the questions on the questionnaire was, how many times did Paul go to Corinth on his third missionary journey? All right, I did more research on that. We don't know. We just don't know. 
I've read as many as four and I've read as many as one. The answer is we don't know for sure. I've been told to keep it a low number by most other preachers who's a lot smarter than me. Um, so possibly two, three would be absolute most. The way you read the book of Acts, it's one, but there's other scriptures in other books of the Bible that mentions it. That's why there's confusion on that. Okay, back to this. I want to clear that up. So Felix comes to power. This is in chapter 25, Acts chapter 25. And uh, he's like, we got a little problem on my hands here. Felix left me with this mess. Festus said, I got to figure out what to do with this guy. So turn to Acts chapter 25 real quickly. We're going to look at a couple verses. Okay, we're going to look at verse 1 to start with. Now, when Festus was coming to Providence, after three days he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him. And there was out favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. So they still not given up on trying to get rid of Paul. Two years has passed. They're still furious. You know, the Bible talks about a root of bitterness and anger. Right there is what it will do to you. If you have unforgiveness in your heart for somebody, right there is the results of it. Could you imagine two years has passed, a man has not been heard of, and you're still hatching a plan to kill him? That's pretty stout. Verse 4, But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, that he himself would depart shortly thither. So, jump down to verse 13. Now, in this time, uh, Festus heard the same trial, went through the same process, and Paul said, I appeal unto Caesar. Now, we're going to read verse 13, a couple verses, and we're going to get to that. And after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came into Caesarea to salute Festus. And when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's case unto the king, saying, There is a certain man left in bonds by Felix about whom when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against him. To whom I answered, um, It is not a manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die before that he which is accused have the accusers face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. So he goes on telling him about all these things that uh, had happened and down to verse 22 about Paul and all the accusations. Then Agrippa said unto Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, thou shalt hear him. In verse 23, and on the morrow when Agrippa was come of Bernice with great pomp and was entered into the place of hearing with the chief priests and principal men of the city, of Festus' commandment, Paul was brought forth. So uh, verse 25 or 26, I want to jump down, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord, wherefore I brought him before you, and especially before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination I have, I might have somewhat to write. So what Felix is saying is, uh, I got to, or Festus, I'm sorry, I got this guy here who um, he wants to go to Caesar. He's appealed to Caesar. He's on trial. 
I don't know what he's on trial for. I don't have anything to write with the letters to say why I'm sending him to Caesar or saying trial because he's not done anything wrong. So he's got a little problem on his hands. You can't send a man to the Supreme Court of the country, ruling country of the world and expect them to put him on trial when there's nothing to charge him for. What's he on trial for? See, see, Fess has got a little problem. Paul said, as a Roman citizen, I'm going to the top. I'm taking my case to the top. And no longer can Festus prevent him from doing that. He's got one or two choices. Turn him loose, which he can't do because Paul said, I appeal to Caesar. He has to send him to Caesar now. The reason, it's believed, two reasons Paul possibly done this. One is because Jesus told him, you're going to go to Rome and you're going to testify before of me. Number two, Paul knew he wanted to get to Rome and this is how he's going to get there. And then perhaps number three, because he knew if Festus turned him loose, the Jews would kill him before he got out. He, he, he wouldn't make it 100 yards and they'd kill him. So King Agrippa is an expert in Jewish history. He's well-versed. Paul tells him this. Um, jump down uh, to verse 24 of chapter 26. Okay, verse 24, chapter 26. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said at a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doeth make thee mad. Now, let me back up. What Paul did is he went back through his testimony again of how he was saved. He told this to Festus and King Agrippa and Bernice and everybody that was sitting around. Remember, there are a room full of people to accuse him. So now, verse 25. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speakest forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things were hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, one of the saddest verses in the Bible, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am except these bonds. When he had thus spoken, the king rose up and the governor Bernice, and they went and sat with them. And he goes on to say that basically Agrippa looked at him and said, if he had not appealed unto Caesar, I'd set him free. But I can't, because he did that. And as a Roman citizen, he had that right. So, they make ready to send Paul to Rome. If we don't finish, it's not the end of the world. So they board a ship to Rome to appeal to Caesar. Now he has, there's other criminals with him. There's also uh, plenty of soldiers to cover all of them. And if Paul has somebody traveling with him, does anybody have a guess who it might be? Luke. That's a pretty good guess because that's pretty right. Um, so they leave uh, Caesarea, go to Sidon, Sidon, then they take off, they come to Myra, which is here in this part of the world, and they go to a grain ship sailing to Italy. Italy is here where is Rome. So it's probably that this grain ship is a lot bigger. Uh, it's it's uh, 
and more than likely it's more comfortable. Remember, the Roman guards, the, the soldiers, they don't want to travel in, in uncomfortable. They want to be comfortable as they travel. They knew this was going to take a few days to get there, so they wanted as much enjoyment as they could possibly get too. Um, so they make another stop here. The Bible tells us about this. They come down to this island of Crete. Uh, they stop at Salaam. Then they go to, to Lycia and Fair Havens. Now, if you remember, this little block here says Paul's warning about the dangers of the voyage ignored. They are starting to make this voyage in the fall of the season. And it was known that you did not sail across the Mediterranean in the fall or the winter. A lot of people perished before they figured that out. You just did not do it. Um, comparison. I don't know how much of you all know about geography of the world or the oceans. Two of the most treacherous oceans that I know of, I'm sure there's others that I don't know about. One is around the Antarctic, around the southern part of South America. That is an extremely violent ocean. If until the, the Panama Canal was formed, there were certain times a year you didn't make that voyage either. If you did, you became shark bait. You sank often. A lot of boats just went down right there. So Paul told them, said, you better, you better winter here, you better get this boat tied down, and you better forget about this. I'm putting it in our words somewhat. And the captain of the ship and the owner of the ship looked and said, we got a fair wind coming from the south. We believe we can do it. The weather's good. This Indian summer, so to speak, we're sailing on. So they take off. So they take, and they get not very far out to sea, and the ship is caught in this little block. I'm reading what it says, because this is basically a ship caught in storm, 14 days, tempest tossed, hope to be saved, given up, Paul encourages all aboard, said only ship will be lost. I probably should take time to go through some of this, really. Um, but we, we quickly kind of go through it. So as they're going along, the Bible tells us basically for 14 days they're in the dark. It's raining. It's overcast. It's a horrible, horrible storm. They throw stuff overboard. They're trying their best to save, them, save their lives. At nighttime, an angel comes to Paul and tells him not to fear. The ship will be lost but, the, but no men will die as long as they stay with the ship. Now, I'm going to stop here and we'll just, we'll pick back up next week. It's okay and I'll bring some questions Sunday for everybody to answer. Now, the point I want to make is this. If you remember, I preached a message not too long ago on when Jesus was asleep in the higher part of the ship before they, they took off. He said, let us go into the other side. As you know, the storm came. They woke him up and said, Master, care sound not that we perish. We're going down. And Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind, the sea, and looked at him and said, Where's your faith? Where, why do you doubt? Now, this is kind of similar. Um, Paul knew Jesus had already told him, and it's in your Bible. It's in the book of Acts. In fact, it's even in words written in red that he was going to go to Rome and testify of him. Paul didn't know how he was going to get there, whether he was going to get an inner tube come floating by and float on it clear to Rome, or how he was going to get there, but he knew he was going to Rome. Some way, somehow, hop on a dolphin's back, whatever it was, he was going to get to Rome. But uh, 
just like those guys, the disciples should have listened to Jesus when he said, let us go to the other side. When Jesus tells you you're going somewhere, you may not get there by your means, you may not get there the way you want to, and I'll be honest with you, it may not always be a, a fun ride, it may be a bumpy ride, but you will get there. Because he spoke it. And I don't know of anything ever in the history of the world that God spoke that did not happen. There's no, there's no force to come against him or stop him. When, when God says something, that something's going to happen, there's nothing that can prevent it. You understand that? The devil can declare things. You and I can declare things. And there's unlimited numbers of stuff that can prevent it or stop it. But there's nothing, or no law, there's no being, there's no force, there's, no, there's nothing that can stop what God says is going to take place. It's going to take place. And nobody can stop it. No matter what it is. Um, like the old commercial, E.F. Hutton. E.F. Hutton talks, everybody listens. When God talks, everybody should listen. So we'll stop there. And I wanted to finish it, but I hope that's okay. Is that okay with everybody? Because I don't want to just then get through it. I want to, I want to wrap it up, but I don't want to just blast through it and gloss over it. Um, but we'll bring some questions to go over next Wednesday night and... Uh, We'll pick up here at the storm. So if you want to, it'd be good between now and Wednesday night if you could take and read starting with chapter 27 and read through the end of the book of Acts. You're only talking two chapters. So, uh, and that will cover what we're getting ready to go over, what's left. Um, I could easily zip through it, but those two chapters, there's a whole lot in them. And I just feel in my spirit like God is telling me not to just wrap it up like that, to go ahead and cover those two chapters. So I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me that way.